Welcome back to Close Encounters of the Blurred Kind, your guide to all things black and nerdy. I'm Rin. I'm Weaver. And I'm Parker. And today we are going to be talking about the movie that we all saw together a few days ago that just dropped on Netflix, Wendell and Wild by Henry Selleck and Jordan Peele. So I've pretty much already said all I need to say. We can end the podcast right here. You already know you have to go watch it at the end. Go watch it. Go watch it. Go literally just go watch it. I'm going to draw attention to the fact that welcome, welcome back, Parker. We missed you last week uh, when Jariah filled in for you. You were too busy. Uh, being the main character of yes. Wendell and Wild. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I was. Um, you know, thank you, thank you so much for acknowledging that. I wasn't going to bring it up, but um, you know, it was it was a lot of hard work, and especially you know with with the press tour, um, you know, the transfiguration required to turn me into a stop motion character uh, just yeah, took a little bit of time of to wear off. No, one hundred percent. It's exhausting, but you know, Henry Are you still Selleck, a little part clay, like you've got a little one hundred percent. Yes, like I'm just like I'm I'm my, you can't see the bottom half of me right now. Now because it is it's all, all gumby it's all <laughs> gumby down there yeah. Uh, but yeah well, jordan jordan and henry were absolute dreams to work with uh, <laughs> you missed a great time with jariah but jariah missed a great time with us when we had our window and wild watch party a couple valid. days ago yes. it was valid. extremely fun i loved watching a movie together with you guys and what a movie oh my god oh, this is like yes. like mm-hmm. prepare to be sick of me this is about to be my whole personality <laughs> oh god uh, if you're if you're listening you can't tell this but i am like in full zombie drag makeup right now <laughs> which is all the more reason you need to be following us on youtube as well because the visual version mm-hmm. of this podcast is all Absolutely. all the the trimmings i did There's drag makeup just... last week with jariah and i think that's just gonna be my thing now like, you did drag I'm... makeup while i was recovering from clay animation sorry i think i'm just gonna like do drag makeup every time because like i like doing that's drag amazing. but i never have an excuse to like actually do it and so oh I'm like, well once a week i'll just that's a vibe <laughs> That's a vibe. I wish that I had that. Like, I I'm the kind of person I literally wear like like evening gowns with like full like makeup to like go to the corner store just because I'm like, well, you know, if I'm gonna go outside, I gotta. <laughs> I really like that song. I put on my jewelry just to go to the bodega. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, one hundred percent, exactly pocket. that. Um. Okay, so Wendlin Wild. Uh, mm-hmm. we are all in agreement that. The movie is fucking incredible. And there's like yes. so many different things to talk about. I actually made a bunch of notes on my phone while we were um while we were watching the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I wanted to bring up that I saw uh, Jay Stubes talking about on TikTok was how how much thematically it felt it felt very like a fable, like a fairy tale. Yes. There was something almost mythic about it. Yes, um, yes, 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 yes. And I think stop motion was truly like the perfect medium for this. Um, and something I had read on uh, Wikipedia or something, Henry Selleck felt that after Coraline, stop motion had progressed so far that it was almost indistinguishable from CGI. Because I remember, like, the think of the the shower scene from Coraline where she turns on the shower and, like, the water splashes on her. Every frame of that water splashing was 3D printed plastic, right? And so it, it's, like, essentially... Essentially, every frame, uh, every th- every frame is already like CGI built and rendered, and they just three D print it. 
Um, and he felt that that had sort of lost a little bit of the magic of stop motion. And so what I really loved about Wendell and Wilde is that it incorporated a lot of old school stop motion techniques like claymation, where you could like really see this sort of like liquidy textures. And even on like some of the some of the puppet sculpts, you could see like the fingerprints of where they were sculpted. I yeah okay so I'm so happy incredible. that I'm so happy that this is like the thing that you brought up um uh because I I haven't been able to get out of my head like one like tying into the fact that like you and um uh just the the fable aspect of it yes but also like that sort of taking it back to um more like grounded sort of I don't want to say golden era because I don't know enough about stop motion it's, animation it's to call it golden. Like, yes, but the th- the choice that stuck with me even while I was watching the movie is that you can see like like they look yeah. like dolls. You like they look the like dolls. You can see the seams. You can In see Coraline, like they edited the those out frame by frame. Um, it reminds me of a, another movie, um, Anomalisa, uh, by Charlie Kaufman, who did uh, mm-hmm. um, who did Being John Malkovich. Uh, mm-hmm. It's and the the way that this the the seams of the the puppet faces are used in Anomalisa is that you see the main character like slowly become aware of the fact that he's a stop motion puppet. Like at one point, like the bottom half of his face falls off. It's like really eerie. Um, but great movie. Go watch Anomalisa. But yeah, I love that you could see the seams on their faces. Like it really yeah, drew 100%. your attention to the artistry of the stop motion. One hundred instead of trying to make you forget that they were physical puppets. One hundred percent sort of did with erasing the seams. Well yeah, I feel like it, like what you were saying earlier about how like Henry Selleck felt like it was getting to a point where it was indistinguishable. In this way they kind of make it so that you can tell what kind of art form is being used. And mm-hmm. I love how like the the style stylistically this movie is just incredible. And like mm-hmm. the style and the details and the textures oh, the, of the, the dolls. Paper cutouts. Like, oh my Oh the gosh. paper cutouts were gorgeous. Yeah the paper cutouts or you can just like Wendell themselves like how how jordan peele's character a looks like Wendell and Wild yeah, they, look they, like, they look like them when they also it's, have like the shapes like it's almost like a cross between 2d and 3d like their, yeah, faces, were kind of their flat, faces were kind of flat also, like, yeah mm-hmm. yeah i really love the, the texture of the hair i used to i used oh, to yeah. do a lot of needle mm-hmm. felting mm-hmm. um and this is like really making me want to pick needle felting back up again because just seeing the way that like fiber arts were utilized to like do all of the hair textures and all of like <laughs> yeah. the little tiny fabrics um super super visually like incredible also the lighting i noticed in a lot of sequences the lighting was like a a gradient of lighting like you know red on one side green on the other very like you know willy wonka in the tunnel uh sort of lights and then it occurred to me like how difficult it must be to have that sort of fluid flowy gradient lighting setup in stop motion like everything has got to be perfectly timed Mm -hmm. um incredible incredible also something i mentioned before uh, we started filming um a lot of the characters have black or like dark colored eyes where Mm -hmm. instead of having a pupil that's you know black and then an iris that's a different color it's just like these big black dots and it they look almost as if those like black dots are almost like raised up from the Mm -hmm. whites of their eyes and i thought it like sort of drew attention to um and celebrated uh black eyes because so often like the only eyes that are you know because like blue eyes have more contrast and black eyes are sort of like an afterthought right but Mm -hmm. this just like the huge the huge black dots and in like in the scene where Wendell and Wilde were contemplating whether or not to like uh test out the the hair cream on um spark plug 
mm-hmm. when they do like the oh the ooh woo face like oh that was so funny that you was could so you could see cute. the way that the lights changed to make the their pupils look you know shinier like the like you know yeah. the the pouty emoji mm-hmm. um yeah i love uh Oh, everything There's about the, it. The level of detail. They show you some stuff in the like while the credits roll. They show you like behind the scenes clips and stuff like that. First mm-hmm. of all, another thing that you notice that is that they mentioned the credits, and you can even see in one of the after credit sequences that they made a lot of this remotely because they, they was making it. During, they were making. Oh God! COVID. Right? Yeah. And yeah. so it's like it, the one of the animators shows like his model of cat. Who it's he has a studio set up in his house, and it's just like this model of cat. Or they show the model of the hand of the dad. Uh, demon or whatever buffalo belzer buffalo, buffalo belzer buffalo yeah. yes um and it's just like huge it's like the size of a bed i'm like how yeah. the fuck like- i literally said when we were watching those after credits i was like that's the size of my bed i can tell by looking at it that that is that is my my queen yeah. size <laughs> queen or full or whatever it's my queen slash full size bed. practical <laughs> effects oh my god and like yeah unbeatable unbeatable not unbeatable. even to mention just like the 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 plot you know like the the God. villains are like the, the yeah. private prison system yeah and this um, is like this is a good point to say that like just in case it wasn't obvious there yeah. will be spoilers, spoilers. So you <laughs> yeah you're spoiling the entire movie, movie. <laughs> yeah because we are going to be talking about every aspect but yeah every and the corporation aspect. like okay because first of all it's like we're talking about the stop motion stuff that's Henry Selleck right mm-hmm. but then we also have the Jordan Peele stuff and if you think for a moment that like okay well Jordan Peele produced it but like, like for instance everyone talks about Nightmare Before Christmas they think about it as a Tim Burton movie. In reality, Tim Burton only produced it. Henry Selleck is the one who directed it and put all the magic in it. And so mm-hmm. you might think like, oh, well, is Jordan Peele just like producing it? Is he really involved? This has Jordan Peele's fingerprints all the fuck over it. 100%. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The only fingerprints that are not Jordan Peele's that are over it are the ones that are visible on the <laughs> the clay yeah, doll. From the animators. <laughs> no, but 100%. Monkey Paw Productions has just been doing like an admirable fucking job. Knocking down the park, man. 100%. Yeah, man. And like, which I just, I mean, my my rampant obsession with like, black absurdity and just like the the like just spotlighting the platform that is like weird ass black folk um is just like that because like when we get into like when we're spotlit in the arts it's like stuff like Wendell and Wilde happens which is I've been waiting two days for this which guarantees to be a Wendell and Wild time. Thank you. Um, I'll be here all week. Uh, no, but it's the the storyline was so amazing and so necessary, and like it's just so easy. Regardless of like, I don't know. It's it's one of those things where the more hyper specific that you get with a script, the more widely accessible it is to people watching yeah. it. You know, like it becomes more um, when you try and and make it something that is about one person's human experience. It becomes about every single person's human experience yeah. because everybody yeah. has been angry or or self-loathing or had issues in school or you know maybe not you know, fit had in a traumatic properly, memory had a traumatic mm-hmm. memory has like you know issues with parents or issues with you know systems of you know uh, oppression or systems that are like putting them against each other everyone's had had friends that they wanted to help by like you know even even going behind their back or whatever like i <laughs> the thing that actually total side note the the thing that um that the the raul um and cat scene um reminded me of when he went back to to resurrect her parents for her um mm-hmm. it was giving me um uh 
I, I hate to bring up Stranger Things again, but it was giving me that that scene where Will um like drew that for Mike. Um and like oh. and like helped. Like it's just that same kind of like, hey, this is a person who like I really, mm-hmm. really care about and like I want to help them get out of the rut that they're in. Um, yeah. which is like again, like just such a hyper specific but like all encompassing human experience, like the way mm-hmm. that they did the narrative sure. and the way that, of- that that ties into things is, is just sorry, insane. Go ahead, Ren. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna be quick, and I'm gonna throw it to Weaver. But um, kind of to your point, Parker, where you're talking about how like the uh, different characterizations, the weird black folk representation. One thing I've noticed about Jordan Peele's movies is that you notice that because he centers black people in his movies, there there is such a diversity of yeah. type of black person. It's like think yep. about it. Yep. Like when it comes to white people, you got all over the spectrum. You can have a yeah. white character that's a nerd. You can have a white character that's a jock. You can have a mm-hmm. cool guy. You can have a dorky. You can have mean. You can mm-hmm. have sweet. All these flavors. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to black characters, you get like sassy or sidekick or whatever. You get like three character mm-hmm. archetypes. Mm-hmm. And so in Jordan Peele's movies, all of them, we have so many radically different types yeah. of black person. Mm-hmm. We have the the sort of coonish uh, like black Trump guy <laughs> but we also have like the we have like a character the characters in nope you know like sister the Hallie. yeah sister, sister Helly was an amazing amazing I think yeah. like interesting look at like the way that like because l- looking at sister Helly's character you like I look at her and I'm like if this had been done by anybody else she would have been such a goddamn stereotype it's like yes. I know <laughs> what tropes they would have used on sister Helly if not and it's like the whole time in the back of my head like on some level I was like what are they gonna do with her character because like is this gonna be a thing where I'm like really just like you know it's like I I felt like Kat being lulled into a false sense of security by Sister Helly's characterization only to realize at like a a point in the movie that I, I can actually trust the way that they've embodied this character um and also just like in terms of like the diversity of characterization um it 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 or characterization it it it's it's also like something to say that like as a black person that has a lot of different, <laughs> sorry to break this to you guys. Um, I've been black this whole time. Um, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll wrap this up and then, and then go over to Weaver. Um, but like as, as somebody who is black, seeing this amount of diversity in, in black characters across like Jordan Peele and like, you know, other, other um, creators and, uh, and other creators in their projects, like these are all recognizable kinds of black people. I want to say, because I think that's also a thing that happens happens like IRL is that like you know non-black folks only see black folks in like one of three ways and then are surprised when you know my favorite band is My Chemical Romance and like Mm -hmm. you know like when I crux of this show yeah exactly in spaces that people don't expect black people exactly black nerds especially like even Mm -hmm. by other black people it's like oh that's white people shit like mm-hmm. oh yeah. that's white people when half it. the time half the time white people shit is actually stuff that we started that like got yeah, appropriated from us. our community yeah, like i feel like so so many black nerds grew up feeling like other other black people felt that they were less black because they were like had nerdy interests mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. like <laughs> for me you know being biracial i you know i had a little bit of biracial victim complex um, for a while, I'm like, oh, other black people don't too like black me. for they the white like kids, <laughs> too white for the black um, kids. And I, thought, I guess I'm like a mocha chocolate. No. <laughs> yeah, and I thought, like, oh, is it because I'm biracial that they don't think I'm black enough? And then later, I was like, no, it's because I'm autistic. <laughs> I'm fucking weird and they think I'm weird so <laughs> like, if, if I was fully black and still autistic I probably would have felt the same way <laughs> um it's yeah it's, this is reminding me of that line from the from Dochi song weird girl activities 
um, that like plays on a loop in my head. Um, I love but, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I wanted to bring up that this is it's, it's such a perfect way to circle back to zombies once again. Um, yes. Uh, to all of the things that we talked about in those episodes with Kenna. Because um, like going into this, I knew that Wendell and Wilde was going to have demons, right? I saw that in the trailer, but I didn't know it was going to be a zombie movie. And just yeah. a couple weeks ago, we went into so much detail talking about the history of zombie movies and like zombies through a black lens. And yeah. this, um, the zombies of like the old guard and having zombies be a metaphor for like society refusing to let go of the mm-hmm. wants and needs of like all of the dead founding fathers who like they yes! don't need to be beholden to anymore like using yes! that using zombies for that incredible or no like, and the zombies fact that, like, for reliving reliving your trauma or like having to cope with your past mm-hmm. it was everything everything about it like this i mean truly like zombies zombies through a black lens i'm yeah, the, it was everything about it was incredible. If I may, um, uh, big big bear brain for a moment. Um, that is another thing that I haven't been able to stop thinking about the 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 use of not just like oh they're zombies, but the use of uh, the characters that resurrect these people. Like you know, if we're if we're you know again circling back to zombies, if we're talking about zombies as a means to do labor for the living, right, um, and to be these like sluggish sort of like like you know just just single minded focus on like doing whatever it is they need to do in order to like you know d- like serve whoever it is that resurrected them. Like it's um it's very telling, and I'm absolutely obsessed with the fact that like if you look at it, it's like who are the people that had these these old folks resurrected right it's like it's like these these sort of like the rich and the it, church yeah it's like this <laughs> this the elite folks in um god i forgot the name of the town rust bank the elite folks mm-hmm. in rust bank right who definitely do not have pure intentions are like invoking physically um the not just like the ideals but also the bodies resurrecting the bodies of these like older like settler expeditionist like colonialized yeah Yeah. they're all wearing like colonizer outfits like you know the the india exploration outfit yeah safari outfit and like the the idea of like the 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 new face of what that looks like now resurrecting the names and bodies of the the old sort of like elite to do their work for them is just very indicative like it reminds me of like the way that a lot of people right now were like oh well you know we need the ideals that we had like back in the day like nowadays when we're having thomas jefferson say exactly the the world like uh, meanwhile like people care what thomas jefferson said because and it's also very funny (laughs) because people back then also still had the same ideas that like all of us have now it's just that we have like a different platform and some of the founding fathers were like oh the constitution should be rewritten every 20 years because each new generation should rewrite the constitution that's what founding fathers said that yeah that's what the founding fathers (laughs) believed they didn't want their ideals from the 1700s to be permanent forever they wanted the constitution to continually be changing and adapting to the american populace um but i i want to uh, yeah i want to to bring the discussion around to the the way the movie handles trauma and how so Mm. much so much like children's media Um, these days has been centered around generational trauma and familial trauma Mm -hmm. um, and like using fantasy as a metaphor for that you know as a metaphor for facing your demons and how Kat thinks like oh they're my demons I have to face them alone but like she really needs other people to be able to like Mm -hmm. hold her hand literally and physically Mm -hmm. with sister Mm -hmm. Helly to be able to like 
to be able to face those and having the you know the idea of like swearing allegiance to her demons as a metaphor for like being beholden to your own trauma of like letting your trauma have control over you um this is it's it's making me think of two Damn other it. Henry Selleck movies. I'm in this picture and I don't like yeah. it. <laughs> it's, it's, I want to compare it to two other Henry Selleck movies and also a non-Henry Selleck movie. Um, Coraline, you know, that was the most recent one, but also James and the Giant Peach. I have not and, seen James oh, and the Giant Peach. Uh, it's been a long time since I've mm-hmm. seen that. And a series of unfortunate one. events, the movie. Series the of unfortunate events. Oh, um, mm, okay. Yeah. Well, uh, the stylistically. Okay. Uh, yeah. The movie. Yeah. 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 Sty- stylistically, mm-hmm. um, and the way that coming of age stories have changed over time. You know, mm-hmm. James and the Giant Peach, which was originally a book by Roald Dahl. It's like there's this orphan, and he lives with his aunts, and they're mean to him. And he, you know, he goes into this peach, and then he meets all these bug people, and then he has a new family, right? Um, and that dealt with being an orphan, you know, experiencing trauma and abuse, um, and overcoming it. But the target audience for like when when Roald Dahl was thinking about like, oh, who are troubled young people that I'm going to write a story that they can see themselves reflected in? It was like little British white boys. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, sure, they can experience trauma and abuse. But the story was centered around that specific experience and also sort of like watered down. Like I just watched a bit of James and the Giant Peach a couple weeks ago. Um, and that story also has a very mythic sort of fable type, um, feel to it where there's like not a lot of specifics. Um, it, it, it almost feels like a dream sequence almost, you know, Mm -hmm. like there's not a lot of specifics about like what town he lives in. Like the, the proportions are a little bit distorted. Um, and so it's a little bit generic. And then like with Coraline, we get a little bit more specific. We go a little bit more into detail about, Mm -hmm. you know, this trauma that she is experiencing. But Mm -hmm. this, I feel you know, really drew attention to the fact that, like, the things that are traumatizing to this character are not supernatural magical Mm -hmm. forces. Mm -hmm. It is, like, Mm -hmm. the actual systemic injustices that Mm -hmm. already exist in real life for Mm -hmm. real people. And there's supernatural elements that interact with how she's coping with that. But the trauma came from the fact that the society we currently live in is unjust, yeah, that, um, the idea that the society we live in is the villain of the story. Like, the fact that the villain of the story is not, um, it's not really even the demons. I mean, the demons, yeah. their whole thing it's is that they want to open a carnival. They don't even yeah. want to, like, take over the world or anything. They just want to open a carnival. Relatable. And even their story has to do with their, like, failure to, like, live up <laughs> yeah, to their father's expectations. Yeah, and yeah the damn like machina of Buffalo <laughs> Bells are being like, you know what, actually, <laughs> you know, I miss my kids. I'm going to be a good dad now. Like, yeah, yeah. okay. <laughs> It was kind of out of nowhere. It was a little bit of a deus ex machina, but I didn't care. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, it's yeah. It. When it comes to like the the little the little I won't even call them gripes, but like little things I would say about this story is like there are a few moments where it's like I feel like this section was a little bit faster than it could have been, and like this yeah. section could have been could have been done but faster also, so that I, we got to spend more time on this section. Thinking of it in terms of like this wasn't this this is a children's movie. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's like, what that's one thing I drew myself of towards kids. For kids to find it relatable. Yeah. Um, no, I, I agree. Because I feel like, so, like, part of me was like, okay, well, I have to, first of all, change my expectations from, like, looking at a kid's media. Not that that means that kid's media is inherently bad, because I, yeah. I don't believe that at all. But because with children's media, like, the pacing is going to reflect 
like a child like in the villains expli- yeah. expli- ex- the villains explicitly stating that they are evil and what their plan is would be hokey and corny if it was like a movie for adults but because it's yeah. a kids movie well, and because Jane Bond. Selling, well yeah, you know it depends it perfectly fits the style of you know like oogie boogie and that kind of character like yeah. a character that is just like explicitly bad and says so and looks ridiculous like that makes sense for this genre the only other thing I would say and this is this is kind of segueing into that conversation about the representation that is in the show of uh, the mm-hmm. movie o- overall i think the representation is absolutely incredible in terms of we see such a racially diverse cast and it isn't like good guys black bad guys white or anything like that like it's pretty mixed yes. and we yeah. see like her parole officer is native american we see her like turquoise intentional she talks about fry bread intentional mm-hmm. and she's dropping her off at a catholic boarding school intentional, intentional. And <laughs> like yeah i know this isn't ideal but it's all we've got like yeah <laughs> Um, yeah. yeah, it's the we talked, only thing uh, we talked with Kenna about how a mm-hmm. lot of like a lot of white critics will see Jordan Peele movies and try to reduce them to like, oh, this is just a metaphor for racism. Oh yeah. my god, like, yeah, yeah, we mentioned it, it could have been it would have been lazy if all the villains were white, but it yeah. really showed like you know uh, white people aren't the only people that are racist. White people mm-hmm. aren't the only people that wi- that that work within unjust systems. Yeah, right, and ev- like all, yeah, like even the mayor. Right, the mayor, yeah. like mayor bribes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like there nice. was every... or father level best. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Yeah. 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 We love. Did you notice eggs. that father level best is the dad from uh, his pose dad from Kung Fu Panda? Yes, I know yeah. he was <laughs> Gong Gong from uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Oh, yeah. um, he's in a bunch sure. of stuff he's, yeah, he's, um, very, yeah. he's a very very talented actor the idea uh, that like people in even minorities and people who can be oppressed can also be oppressors mm-hmm. like yeah. the idea that one of the villains is a woman and she's a white woman with a black man hmm or like, oh yeah, yeah. no that in- <laughs> intentional um, racial <laughs> racially motivated yeah. i feel like siobhan was like i and it might Classic just be white because, mom energy <laughs> yeah um r.i.p to my fellow biracials out, th- out there i know a lot of biracials with white moms feel like they're being specifically targeted with japes um sorry <laughs> but also um <laughs> uh siobhan was like giving very christian walker energy it might just be because like the her the the election is coming up and like in georgia it's a huge deal you know herschel walker versus um uh, fuck. Warnock? uh Warnock yeah yeah <laughs> Got his name for a second obviously we are time travelers so for you guys this is the day after Thanksgiving but for me you know voting is next week um and you know making the black guy like very explicitly like look like Trump and it, if he would have yeah. been white it would have been like a little bit too on the nose but like yeah, yeah no some 100%. some like no some there are black Republicans there yeah there there are there are you know black people that do unjust things and Siobhan especially with like the pin straight blonde hair yeah um and the blue eyes uh and just the 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 the, yeah it's uh I think it was a it was a very fitting little bit of a redemption arc for the the biracial with white mom archetype one thing that I will say I'm gonna have a bit of a Jewish moment here um (laughs) as the resident Jew on this podcast um so I was talking with somebody else pointed this out and I was like "Mm, yeah I didn't even think about that uh, some people had some issues with the characterization of Manberg, um, who is definitely Jewish coded in terms of like from the name to the fact that he wears uh, the Jewish symbol uh, for uh, high, which is life in um, around his neck. And it is um, and his his character, he's not exactly like 
he's not a villain per se he's not evil mm-hmm. um but he is somewhat antagonistic he is somewhat mm-hmm. um uh, which you know that in, of itself is fine but the fact that his specific thing is like kidnapping children in this case demon children and so and he's not really aware that they are children because he does let them go at the end but like just you know the history of like stories about jews taking kids and stuff like that i think maybe that could have benefited from like a sensitivity reader in terms of like oh maybe we don't have this character do this thing um it's not like cancel the movie bad or anything but it's just kind of like maybe let's think about that a little bit more next time um i think that overall like the characterizations of the different characters we have like um raul who is canonically trans and Mm -hmm. his mother's like fiercely uh supportive of him we don't his story does not revolve around trans trauma or like Mm -hmm. you know oh my parents don't accept me he does get dead named once but it's very on brand for siobhan to do that 100 yeah and for for it to be like oh i'm sorry i just forgot um i i really loved uh raul's art and the way that we saw like mythology from other cultures um yeah the story with his his big art project on the the murals and all the roofs Mm -hmm. um I also wanted to say we talked a little bit with Kenna about the vilification of disability. Um, and mm. I think it's interesting because especially like since we mentioned James Bond, like there are a lot of James Bond villains. It's just like, oh, I'm scary because I'm disfigured. Um, with Manberg, it was really interesting because it was like very clear, like the disability isn't what makes him evil. And in fact, like it was very like I am I am not uh a wheelchair user. So like I, you know, this is not necessarily my area to speak on, but I thought the representation of how he used his mobility devices was really interesting. We saw how adaptable he was. We saw like there's a compartment in his chair where like the floor waxer comes out and we see how like he is so smart. He has kitted out his wheelchair to be able to be like extremely effective, you know, at being this like custodian of the school of like the, you know, having the long pole to, to change the lights. Um, you know, we we see he's like really innovative in the way that he has uh, adapted this technology. And and again, like he what I'm noticing a lot more in uh, especially children's media is that there are a lot of like morally gray characters that are antagonistic, but they're not villains. Like he was he was not the villain of the movie. And even though like his whole relationship with sister Helly was like, you know, really toxic, it's, you know, at the end he was like, you know what, I, I uh, hate demons, but uh, I can admit when I'm wrong, you know, like I separated you from your family and I'm going to, I'm going to rectify that, you know, family is important to me. And you realize that the reason he reacted so strongly to sister Helly doing in what in his eyes was betraying him is because he sort of viewed her as family, right? Like, he took her under his wing and like trained her essentially to be his apprentice and then she grew up and like rejected that and is like no what you're doing is wrong and he feels betrayed by her yeah and that's that's something that's interesting like when you when you have a lot of diversity especially amongst your villains you have to like really ask like oh is this like a vilification of xyz or is it just you know overall i would say and i mean i won't speak for any group that i'm not a part of but like it seems like the representation and the characterization of most of the like diverse characters that we saw in the film were um you know was solid in terms of it wasn't um like 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 we said it wasn't um it wasn't lazy it wasn't like okay well you can tell a lot of thought went into it (laughs) absolutely like you can tell that like there was 
a conscious choice to make and and to defy certain archetypes because like the girls that cat meets at the school mm-hmm. seem like they fit the mean girl archetype right you're like oh yeah. here comes the bullies yeah there was a the popular girl yeah and even and even then they weren't all they were like it were they were like a mixed girl uh, i think in uh a an Asian girl and a like a South like Asian a girl, South yeah. Asian, South Asian yeah. girl and an East Asian girl, and yeah. I'm just like, even that is like, it, it could have mm. gone, it could have gone I mean, like Gretchen Wieners, malicious. Right? <laughs> yeah, they weren't malicious. Yeah. They were just kind of like trying jealous. to bully. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they, I mean, Siobhan dead named Raul, um, but in like a, it didn't. It seem wasn't like, an yeah, unnecessary. It, it wasn't something that was unnecessary to the plot. It didn't seem like it was out of nowhere yeah, or coming it, across it, as it an wasn't internalized as if bias. She was intentionally trying to hurt Raul. It was just a reflection of the fact that she just didn't care enough. Yeah. Um, and so, like, they're they're oblivious to what other people are going through, mm-hmm. and they're sort of clueless about how the world works. But they're not trying to be mean. Something else. Something else that I noticed when Siobhan is first. Uh, introduce uh, introducing herself and you know the poodles to cat uh, when cat first arrives that scene I thought was a really great example of afro surrealism um because mm-hmm. Siobhan and sweetie and Sloan are like we do goat yoga we meditate for climate change and it's just this whole like very peppy everything is fine everything is nice and fine all of the time and it's like from cat's perspective it's like stuff is clearly fucked up and i feel like that is such so strongly at the heart of what afro surrealism is of entering an environment that is obviously fucked and everyone around you pretending like everything's fine and normal and you're the only one that's like this actually this actually is bad why can't you see that but what i thought was interesting was that when siobhan was like oh, yes, you know, oh, we do go yoga and we have all these amenities. And then later on when she's trying to justify her parents' prison mm-hmm. to Kat and they're like, oh, well, they have all those amenities and they're like, oh, trauma-informed and they, you know. And it 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 reminded me of what she said about the goat yoga, right? And in, in some regards, Siobhan being in this, you know, this school, the RBC, is like a prison, but because she has been brainwashed about what prisons are, she can't see mm-hmm. it. She can't see that having nice amenities doesn't detract from the fact that you can't escape, right? Doesn't detract from the fact that you're stuck there and you you don't have agency. Um, so with the with the prize poodles, um, especially like just generally speaking, the fact that they're all three like um, I'm assuming that the other two girls are also like just rich kids um, that like yeah. have yeah. this kind of like view on the world. But with the prize poodles, um, the thing that I was similar to Sister Helly. I was looking at them and I was like, what are we doing with your character? Like, where is this going to go? Like, what, mm-hmm. when's the other shoe going to drop of like, mm-hmm. you guys are like evil and mean and just trying to get a cat because of, um, because like, that's like who you are as people. Like, you're, you're expecting these girls to be malicious because again, that is the trope that these three fit into. And also, I mean, I also think that it's very, in, I don't know. I, I also like think as a side note that it's it's very interesting that like these are not uh three like this is a trope the three mean girls or three like popular rich perfect girls um in like um the the boarding school or private school that are usually um obviously usually white um there's so many <laughs> there's so yeah. many different kinds of like media over the years that is just like you know it was literally a movie called it, it, yeah <laughs> like one of one of many you know like heather's had that sort of like trope yeah. exa- ex- and these are yeah. u- this is usually like um these are usually like a a, a triple um sort of like uh character like yeah. group that is they're usually white um and i think that it's interesting that 
like this is the first time that I've seen that really um, that one where they they weren't uh, not to say that I've never okay wait let me <laughs> let me collect my <laughs> thoughts before I like trip over my own tongue so I think it's very um, interesting the fact that this is one of the one of the predominant experiences um, as a viewer of seeing that trope not be held by three white girls, but also specifically that at the end they weren't actually malicious. Um, mm-hmm. I think that that was very interesting um, in the way that they they did that subversion, and also yeah. um, on on the Raul um, dead naming thing. I think that it was honestly like it's they they also did such a good job with Raul's character that like five minutes after that happened I could not remember what the name was yeah like I could not remember what the name was at all yeah it only happened once and the fact that like not only the just in terms of in uh in line with the idea that this is so in line with Siobhan's character in general she also calls Kat like the wrong name repeatedly oh oh if you don't if you don't think that I am if you don't think that I am headcanoning Kat as like a she they them like a like a (laughs) non-binary this is projection because i am 100%. a green-haired like like 100%. like alt black kid but like yeah. the the name thing it's the name thing again it's the same thing that happened when i was um watching infinity train i was like if there's a character yes. that's very oh very God. specific about their the name girl, you are now non-binary to me <laughs> yeah yeah it's like, like absolutely non-binary cat. i won't be taking questions at this time what? no 100 100 <laughs> i i just i just wanted to say um i think it damn it i lost my train of thought um well maybe this is a good time for an ad break oh yeah yeah actually wait (laughs) we were supposed to be an ad from our sponsors (laughs) hi we are our own sponsors (laughs) uh rin parker and i have all of our social media platforms that we'd like you to follow us on uh i'm on tiktok at the underscore woodmother same on instagram i'm at the woodmother on youtube i definitely want you to follow me on youtube but most importantly i would like for you to subscribe to me on patreon because if you do you will get access to the primordium discord server primordium is a reading group that meets every tuesday evening we do a read aloud over on twitch on my friend madeline's channel that is free for anybody to join but if you would like to be a part of the interactive group discussion after the fact you've got to subscribe to one of the co-hosts on Patreon, uh, and you'll get access to that Discord server. Some of the other co-hosts include our friend Kenna, who was on the show just a couple episodes ago, TX Watson, Han Kaylee, and my friend Madeline at The Eclectic Library. Rin, what about you? Well, I am also on TikTok at Rinstar, and I am on Instagram and Twitter at the real Rinstar. Not because I'm one of those pretentious people who wants to put the real before their name, but because Rinstar was already taken on those platforms for some reason. And um, I am also on YouTube with my fiance. We have a joint um, YouTube account called Wordy and Nerdy. We also have a joint Twitch channel called twitch.tv slash word and nerd so i am um on the word podcast and i also have my own um like a business thing with my fiance uh wordy and nerdy enterprises where we do podcast we do twitch we do um live streams youtube all that kind of stuff so please support us as well all of the links for that will be in the description and i'm also on buy me a coffee if you would like to personally sponsor me and subscribe for exclusive content Uh, Parker, what about you? Hello, dear listener. 
It's me, Parker. You can follow me at all available social media platforms, including Instagram, YouTube, Tumblr, Twitter, not Facebook, I don't have a Facebook, but most importantly, my Patreon uh, at Humble Tortoise. Um, I would, I would, I would, I would absolutely love to gaze into your eyes over a, a French cafe table and, you know, tear into a croissant. Okay, ball. and I think that. Doesn't <laughs> <have a break. laughs> Wrapping up the ad break right about there. <laughs> Incidentally, if you want to see if you want to see their uh, AO3 tags, you can always <laughs> right. coffee shop. That's just a taste. We're keeping that in. Oh god, yeah. no, we're keeping that in 100. Okay, close this out, Parker. This ad break was made possible by us, our own sponsors, and also made possible by listeners like you. Thank, Thank you. you. And now we're back. Um, there was there was one more thing I wanted to mention about the the poodles. One one it was the fact that KK wasn't just Kat's initials, but it was also the initials of Klaxon Corp. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. Very subtle. The way that Klaxon oh, looks like clan with one letter change. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like Klaxon Corp Corporation, not Corp Corporation, yeah. but there were a few yeah. of the like I, I I put that in the Discord while we were watching it. I was like yeah. ah I. Not, not is also not her initials. Her last name is Elliot, so I'm not even sure what she got. Catherine Kaniqua. Uh, yeah, Catherine Kaniqua. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, one thing I I barely started a second ago, and I was like, oh, I just remembered this. Um, the so I one of my hyper focuses is vaudeville, um, and vaudeville history, specifically black vaudeville. And there was a really famous black vaudeville duo, Williams right. and Walker. Yes. Uh, Bert Williams right. and George Walker, and the 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 whole setup especially of like the the duality of like one's fat one's thin one's a doofus one's the straight man that comes directly from vaudeville Mm. so much of american like comedy tropes have their origins in um you know in like in in common like vaudeville tropes the way you know there'd be like a duo traveling together or like a husband and wife team um but they reminded me so much of the Williams and Walker dynamic. Mm. I would love one day to do like just a whole episode on Black Vaudeville, but like 100%. I that that really made me. It really it made something click for me thinking about like oh Williams and Walker would have had like the level of cultural relevance within the Black community in mm-hmm. like the 1900s as mm-hmm. he and Peel have to us. Oh um, yeah, and I think yeah. that that was that. I just knowing Jordan Peele, I don't feel like that was an accident. Williams and Walker, Wendell and Wilde, it just it's too similar oh, to be. And the fact that as well, like yeah. their whole ambition was to get out of like basically, yeah, this, like they were in prison garb, and then exactly <laughs> yeah. that. And the the carnival, the whole like vaudeville is because yeah. like Williams and Walker, like back then the, the vaudeville it wasn't just like in theaters in vaudeville houses. It was really common for like black troops to have traveling shows with like tent shows. Mm-hmm. It would be like almost a combination, like a vaudeville show in a big like circus tent, mm-hmm. and also a carnival accompanying it, and like acrobats and stuff, like the Black Patty Troubadours. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it felt very like and and that like dark cabaret vaudeville theatrical sort of um, aesthetic is mm-hmm. like yeah, I mm-hmm. that like really tickled my brain. Um, yeah, but just the that. idea that like the whole aesthetic of the movie is a very sort of vaudeville. Uh, turn of the century kind of style to yeah, it. Yeah, and I think like, part it's of like, it, 
part of it is because stop motion inherently just yeah. reminds us of the theater because it is using yeah. similar techniques like the the the, the hand painted sky backdrops are, are reminiscent of the kind of backdrops you would see at a at a theater and so it, it yeah. puts us in mind of like especially like something they used to do in the vaudeville era um they used to sell as merch um for like specific shows uh, they would make postcards with the actors and like the show or whatever, like all their joints separated out like a little paper doll for you to like mm-hmm. cut out and make your own like little marionette paper doll. Oh, and yeah. You, you mentioned have, like, while we were paper watching theaters and mm-hmm. you could um, yeah. you could like cut them out and blah, blah, blah. And it reminded mm-hmm. me a lot, especially because of like the paper cutout animation. Mm-hmm. It reminded me a lot of those like paper theaters from the vaudeville era. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, s- incredible s- vibes. Speaking of things that tickle our brain, I you guys um w- <laughs> the music <laughs> yes the mu- okay i, I was, was waiting in- for you to bring up the music i <laughs> i um i w- i i feel lightheaded talking about it it was such a like a significant like wonderful out of body it was an out of body experience i was like lightheaded high on life just in my room eating popcorn and drinking like lychee soda like it was just the the music was so 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 good it was so so good and specifically the choice of music the choice of artists i was okay first thing i'm gonna say is this i when we all ended the the movie and like we were just like in the discord server whatever like that i wasn't on the call um because i when i watch a movie for the first time i if i'm watching it with other people i will um negate my own initial experience by needing to make commentary um there's some yada yada compulsive performativity in front of people that i want to like me etc etc um but the the main thing is like i i (laughs) we paused and like I immediately into the Discord server, I was like, okay, I am in full tears. I need a second. <laughs> because like the like there was I there were so many times during the movie that I felt myself like being like like caught up. And it's also like such an interesting experience as the, you know, like the 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 as somebody who fits into the weird black kid trope that really should be like utilized in a more intentional way um more often in media. But um uh, fuck it, I'll do jingle, it myself. Jangle, jangle. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Next month. We'll watch this episode about that one. Yes. Um, but like, it's it's very interesting for me as an adult, consciously looking for myself in an antagonist, because I don't think, um, if you guys haven't seen the the video versions of these podcasts, um, or if you don't have, uh, have me on Twitter, um, I've been asking for the last month and a half for Jordan Peele and Henry Selleck to run me my goddamn check, because- I I mean, like we established, I am I'm I'm <laughs> I played cat in the movie. Like I I've got like I've had my hair green since I was 14 years old. I've had this piercing in since I was 14 years old. My mom did it for me. Um like I just there's like initial like immediately seeing that um and as somebody who like grew up on like Coraline and like uh, like a lot of other cool sorts of like media like this it, it's interesting for me now as an adult to watch something like Wendelin Wild intentionally um even if i'm trying to shut that part of my brain off like sort sifting through what i'm seeing and trying to find myself in this character in this story and like in this media and then 
finding it and just being able to like relax and be like, I am sufficiently represented in this is amazing. And like the music was something that like for me as a musician and as somebody who's like, you know, been like, you know, I I don't remember if I mentioned this before, but like, uh, you know, my mom used to take me to Afropunk festivals back when it was like a free community event where like anybody in the community with a band could like join the Battle of the Bands, get a stage, et cetera. Um, like uh, I, I saw Fishbone when I was like 11 years old <laughs> um, and Janelle Monet like the next year and Erica Badu. But anyway. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, no, I was just like, yeah, this is really cool. Everybody's got really cool like mohawks and shit. Um, and and, and I had religious parents. So. Oh yeah, no. See, I I was I was going to this free first the, Christian concert called Celebrate Freedom. Like the most out there band I ever saw was Switchfoot. <laughs> oh <laughs> my ever, god! Have you, watched, uh, have you ever watched uh, Winterfest, Weaver? Oh, I went to Winterfest yeah. every year. Uh, yeah, I went to Winterfest. That was like the closest thing to a rock concert in my experience was going to watch Skillet at uh, Winterfest. Damn, not Skillet. <laughs> I I I guess like I I'm privileged in like a really weird way which is that like i am the child of a weird alternative black kid um so like when i would would hang out with my mom and i was like you know like just super super just like chill or whatever like that and like i had like my little converse on and my little skinny jeans and i was like all like angsty my mother full tattoos full piercings she used to have so many piercings in we said um we would joke that she would have a metal skeleton when she died um and also every single time when we were um uh when i was very very young we had a house in uh in queens and whenever she would walk past this is old tv technology when antennas were still a thing um when she would walk past the antennas sometimes it would either fritz or fix the screen Uh, yeah it was no it was hilarious and so like i used to be this like small angsty little like weird kid but also i had a mother who like babies used to stop in the street and point to because like she had like all of these colors on and like all of this like all of this like you know like uh, just these these vibes and so like I guess like the 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 way in which I'm privileged is hilarious because it's just that I I didn't have that experience of like feeling outcasted mm-hmm. because me everybody in my family and everybody in my sort of like immediate circle um were also just like yeah okay yeah you're go meditate in the bathroom um like <laughs> just just the it was, vibes it was but... really cool to see how how supportive Kat's parents were not just supportive of like her weirdness but they yeah. like they themselves were yeah. like this is our thing yeah we're weird yeah. we have this you well, know this big boom I can I can her dad was I, what the one who got her into the punk music yeah. I was going to say <laughs> yeah. I, every single black like older black like uh like I, just looking at her dad he's like if tv on the radio the band was a person because like every older black guy that I know who's like who was heavy into the punk rock scene Scott etc looks exactly like that beard and goddamn all um and <laughs> It was just like as somebody like I don't know. It's just the yeah. the way that they that they included the music, the choices for the music, um, yeah. and specifically the way I'm I'm shouting this out right now. Number one fan since I was literally ten years old. Tamar Kali, I know you're not listening to this podcast, um, but oh okay, but you- uh, Maybe you, day. but you could be, you could be. Um, I'm so happy that people are finally putting respect on on her name because she's such a goddamn talented musician. Um, and that um that song at the end, um, I grew up listening to, and it was just such a wonderful experience to hear this like Afropunk throwback, um, be the like ending song which is a celebration of like weird little black girls. Like that's exactly the the brand. Like the the music was I. Anyway, um, I'm mm, just. Yeah. 
I feel like the this movie, like you, we can do a whole separate episode and just like all of the background details and the subtle 100%. things that were alluded to without being directly stated, um, that are in the background. Like you're just you could pause at any frame of this movie and see a lot going on. Like yeah. I think there's even some possible indication that her mother is uh maybe Afro Indigenous because um she wears that necklace which has a very it looks very Indigenous mm-hmm. to me, but she mentioned specifically that it was her mother's or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um. And so some people are speculating you either she could have gotten it from parole officer because her parole officer is definitely indigenous. Um, but I think she specifically oh, mentioned yeah, her the mom. mom. The mom yeah. was like, oh, I was wondering where that was. I, oh, yeah, yeah that another was thing mom's. I wanted to point out um, was just like how when Kenna uh, was talking about how, you know, when in black horror movies, there's so much more culturally that black people fear that isn't just white people. You know, it's yes. related it's related to white supremacy, but mm-hmm. it's not just like, oh, this horrible thing is a metaphor for white people. I specifically yeah. noticed the the fear of drowning. Um yes. of, oh, the, of how yeah. at the beginning, like, you know, her parents like, hey, you know, you can you can swim just like just like we taught you. And I was like, why didn't her parents get out of the car? And it's like a lot of older black people never learned how to swim. Mm-hmm. That's extremely common within our community. Mm-hmm. It's um, also um if you look at that detail, because when we um we had to restart the movie at one point about five minutes in. Um, but if you actually look at it the second time, I noticed the reason why her mom didn't get out of the car um was because like after she let Kat out, she turned around to try and wake up her her husband. Yeah, her husband oh, was knocked out. Yeah, and he was and they were yeah. both all still in their seatbelts so like and if a car is going in and like she's already opening that like she's already opened that window like they might have like even if they did know how to swim there wouldn't have been time for that but no like i think that there's so many yeah but just like the, the imagery of the water of, being like a source yeah. of fear yeah 100 yeah. percent. Um, and the even the scene like the air go out of her like right at the last second when somebody pulls her up out of the water like she yeah. almost drowns too oh <laughs> yeah no that was yeah because she like kept looking at her parents and like trying yeah. to yeah no that was that was intense. Um, I think that this was a good. We it really we, pulled no punches. Like, oh yeah, it's going yeah. to juvie. Oh like, yeah, she's going is, to juvie, and then real also the traumatic guy- stuff that happens to mm-hmm. real people. No, no like also a brutal murder that happens like on screen. Where, oh yeah, where yeah. The, <laughs> <laughs> um, there. Um, one last thing that I'll have to say, and then I know we have to wrap up. Um, we had to wrap up, but um, I I think that this movie is a wonderful, wonderful, and very significant example of why um, it it's another example of answering that question of hmm, well, why should we have diverse voices behind the media, not just at mm-hmm. the forefront? Isn't it enough that we cast yeah, this right. black person? Because like it's it's not it's not, and no, it's, it's because not. of experiences. It's another yeah. thing where when you get these if people's hyper camera exactly they, or behind in the writers' room exactly, and it's like and they're again stories that relate more widely to everybody. I've never felt more um, like I I don't feel seen um by hyper specific stories um when there is like a, a a fully white cast you know like as opposed to like if i'm watching something that's made by um an indigenous creator or an asian creator i could have nothing in common or any foreknowledge of the culture or that person's experience but if it is a hyper specific story about like a comedy of errors or something that happens while somebody is trying to you know just have a decent day i will relate to it more often when there are diverse voices um and voices that are sensitive to uh the the need for that behind the the screen i think that this is um looking back on it there are a couple snags that um you know uh, manberg is is one of them but also like i think that this is a Wendelin wild is a good 
example of one, why it is so important to have diverse characters, diverse representation and diverse voices making that, but also why we need more of it so that Mm -hmm. next time something as amazing as this movie is created, I don't look back on it and I'm like, oh, well, these two things actually, I think could have used somebody else to like weigh in on, you know, like exactly make it's like making it needs to be a collaboration exactly part it needs to be like you know it's a learning experience but the fact that there this even exists i mean exactly yeah think about the representation we got like five ten years ago plenty of problems what representation (laughs) i know well yeah it's like we already got a little tiny bit but you can look back at something that was considered progressive in the 90s and go oh holy shit this yeah yeah it's like look at this these points we got for making for introducing the character of yb who's like Mm -hmm. biracial like ooh, we got you know there's one biracial character and his Mm -hmm. grandma's black like isn't that something Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Just they throwing black, but they didn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. So it's like it can always go further, but that's why I think it's so great because like these are stepping stones as we as a yeah. society. It's like we're not going to wake up one day and see perfect representation mm-hmm. overnight, but yeah. we continue to build on it. There's a, a thing yeah. that um I I hyper focused a while ago to um like uh, my my friend um and and my partner um about how it's important now that Hamilton is now problematic because when it came out no because like when it came out it was i can talk about this for hours but we don't have out we don't even have a couple minutes um but um when when hamilton Hamilton episode we do not get me we need to do a musical theater episode in general yes 100 yes but like i um when um when hamilton came out it was revolutionary right it was insane there was a hip-hop musical it was like all of that it it got attention for a reason because look at when it came out look at the political climate etc etc and then it became every wealthy white person's favorite musical to like no 100 it it became the um it became the musical version of i would have voted for obama a third time if i could have you know and like I read you know, White Fragility. And, <laughs> and like the thing is like, but did you read White Fragility? Um, but like the thing with Hamilton is like, I, I will never shut up about the fact that it's a good thing that it's problematic now. It's a good thing that the original Queer Eye is something that sometimes people look at and they're like, oh, it's a good thing that yeah. the Ellen show or elements of even Friends or like anything is is Absolutely now good. right now problematic. Looking the way back they on some- Chandler's dad and Friends is really, really bad looking back. Like I don't even remember Chandler's dad. Neither I do I. I Chandler's dad movie. is trans coded, but not ever officially trans. He's just a drag queen. But like the way that they handle him is really, really problematic. But again, like it's a good thing to look back. Like the fact that we can look back at something and be like, we should have done that differently means yeah, that there yeah. is progress and that now there is enough distance that we have a new perspective. And honestly, yeah, absolutely. ultimately, I think that that is like one of the most important takeaways from like media. You know what just popped into my head when we're talking about like, you know, how representation has come a long way. Think about something that was sort of progressive in the 90s is uh, I was just thinking Magic School Bus, right? Mm-hmm. Because Magic School Bus had like a pretty racially diverse cast of kids. Mm-hmm. However, those kids still pretty much fit a very specific niche in terms mm-hmm. of like the black boy is athletic and the black girl is sassy and the it's just like it's just like you know it's, it was it was great to see it at the time and me looking back like okay I probably mm-hmm. would have done that a little differently if yeah. I were producing that now but it was 1995 and it was fine <laughs> last thing I'm gonna say as a side note if we're talking if there is one piece of media that did actually age very well if there's one ca- not piece of media if there's one character in an old school cartoon that did age well, the teacher in recess. 
Yes. Oh my god, Mrs. I know exactly Gro- what you're talking about. Is the- Grokey is her name? Grokey, yes. Grokey, the woman with the hair. She aged <laughs> perfectly. And also, again, is a good I- indica- indicator that, like, people have always had these ideals. These things have yeah. always existed and, like, whatever. But, like, you know, it's just, there's we've, we've progressed. And we've the fact that she was framed as, like, a silly, goofy, hippie character, but it's like, mm-hmm. she actually was so on point. Right. Like, no, but she also she used that. She, she also <laughs> used that. She was like, hi, I'm the silly, goofy character. Look at these colonizers. <laughs> <laughs> now, remember, class, this is written from a white colonizer's perspective. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> All right. On that note, I think we probably got to wrap up. There's going to be so much to cut oh out god. of this episode. Oh, oh my god. god. Well, there's just some. I mean, look, the bottom line, the takeaway is Wendell and Wilde is incredible and it's a pretty much a masterpiece, an instant classic. It's one of those movies where, like, you watch it and mm-hmm. instantly it feels like I've watched this every Halloween since I was five years old. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> like- it is one of those things that you, it's a piece of media, like a new friend, that when you. Yeah meet it for the first time it feels like you forgot that you had always known it it is instantly familiar and it is instantly recognizable in its recognition of you i think for me i might be projecting again because i look exactly like the main character um so i probably feel a little bit hyper represented green hair black kids rise up um but uh also hey um but also it's just i think that it's one of those stories again the more hyper specific it is the more widely recognizable it is especially in certain aspects um and especially in the way that it is just overtly the human experience yeah all right um so closing out uh thank you guys for joining all of us uh today on this little adventure thank Um, you if you're watching this on youtube make sure to like subscribe and leave a comment and don't forget to check us out on the podcatcher of your choice if you want to listen to us on the go and if you were a podcast listener don't forget to subscribe as well as leave us a review that'll really help us uh with our ratings in these first few weeks and be sure to check us out on youtube so you can see all our cool graphics and Uh, we also have an instagram now we yes. also have an Instagram. Follow us on Instagram. I'll be posting oh, a lot yes. of silly We're content. We're <laughs> expanding the uh, social platforms that we have access to. So make sure you're keeping track of all of the updates on there. In addition to that, um, when you find us on YouTube, don't forget to hit that bell so that you are notified whenever it is that we upload or have any kind of content or posts um, so that you'll be able to get in very nice and clean with the close encounters of the Blurred Kind community over on that platform. Um, and uh, yeah, sorry, Weaver, Thanks. you were saying. Yeah. If you'd like to support us more directly, you can become one of our Patreon patrons. Uh, the links for that are in the description. Mm-hmm. You know, the more patrons we have, the more time and energy we can devote for making more content mm-hmm. to you guys. And if you would like to inquire about uh, becoming one of our sponsors, you can send us uh, ad inquiries to Close Encounters, the Blurred Kind at gmail.com. And you can also send us any sorts of emails. You know, if you're just like, hey, I'm a black nerd and I want to tell you stuff, you, you know, send those emails to us too. Mm-hmm. yes we have so many things already like planned the way our brains work we're always like yeah, spouting off ideas of and brainstorming. so it is going to continue and the more that you support us the more we are able to bring some of those cool things to actuality so yeah. please do that uh, all right any last words before i close out um 
You can find uh, my Patreon. Uh, the links, of course, to everyone, to the best way to uh, support everyone will be listed below. My Patreon will be slash Humble Tortoise. Um, Weaver's Patreon is slash The Woodmother. And I believe, Rin, I'm not sure if you have a Patreon, but you do have a Buy Me a Coffee, correct? I do, yes. Yes. Uh, yeah, I technically have a Patreon, but I don't really use it. I do have a Buy Me a Coffee. That mm-hmm. might change. But whatever it is, it's going to be in the description. 100%. And if you're on Spotify, make sure to answer our poll questions. We are yes. start, We've started putting yeah. poll questions at the end of our episodes Very so exciting. we like to go over our uh, polls after uh the end to see the results finally thank you to Jariah oh. for the use of the song enter a beginner's guide to faking your death as the intro and outro of our show all right stay blurdy stay blurdy guys stay blurdy <laughs> <laughs>